0: Hello everyone, my name is David McGovern and I'm the host of A Little Light Listening, a podcast where we cover the latest developments in science and technology that are based on the science of light. This regular podcast features experts from Ireland and around the world and we will be exploring lots of areas including how light is used in medicine, space, communication and right here on earth for even dealing with effects of climate change. Each week we'll be reaching out to our community in advance of the podcast to get questions and comments which we'll put to the guests during the show. I work in the Irish Photonic Integration Centre, which is the Science Foundation Ireland Centre for Photonics, where we conduct world-leading research in the science and application of light. Our national team of leading researchers work with other research centres and companies from around the globe, and with their help, I'll be bringing you some of the latest developments in this exciting area of research. The title of today's podcast is Shining Light on Space, where we will discuss how light has enabled us to communicate and display images to each other across continents, locate yourself within the few metres anywhere on Earth, as I look back in time and see images across the depths of space, including black holes, which were imaged only for the first time in 2019. Today, I'm joined by John MacKay. Uh, John is the CEO and co-founder of Embryonics, a Galway-based SME which designs and manufactures optics and botonic systems for space applications. Embryonics is a global leader in satellite optical communication systems, also known as LaserCom, which is a laser-based technology that is being used to interconnect and form the data backbone for the emerging internet of space. The company is launching a satellite in 2024 to demonstrate its laser-com product called Starcom. John founded the company with his siblings, Ruth and David, in 2014 and has a background in business and economics. So, welcome, John. How are you getting
1: on? David, very well, thanks so much for having me on uh, the podcast today, great
0: honour. We're delighted to have you here, um, um, and actually for our listeners, so I know you very well from working with you for a number of years, but so could you just, for our listeners and everyone at home, could you give us a little background about yourself and how did you first get interested in science, space and photonics?
1: Indeed, yes. Yeah. so it's uh it's, it's very much a, we're a family founded company but uh, the the story is also very family orientated really so uh, my background is more in, on the business side of things but uh, ruth and david uh, so ruth's uh, uh, is a physicist uh, by training and she did her phd in nui galway with uh chris Dainty as part of the applied optics group uh, back in 2000 and she focused on this technology uh, using lasers uh, to communicate between space and ground uh, using adaptive optics technologies to sort of overcome the challenges of putting a laser beam through the atmosphere and um, she did some amazing research in that area at a very sort of interesting time um, where the first uh, satellite demonstrations using this sort of technology were being performed and ruth was sort of caught up in the whole whirlwind of, of those of the that time working with uh nasa ESA, DLR, the german aerospace agency and um, played quite an interesting role in the midst of all that and uh, by default i suppose by uh, uh i suppose by being sort of associated with the, through all that i was very obviously impressed of all that was happening dinner dinner time talks whatever else and it's very fascinating and uh, then David was doing his aerospace engineering course in UL and he then did his PhD with Chris and really took through his research and uh, sort of advanced it even further. And sort of coming up around 2012 and David was sort of coming to the end of his PhD, the three of us had sort of been continually discussing this. There was no At this time, there was no talk of these fantastic satellite constellations of thousands of satellites or anything like this. And... There was a sense of just the, the, the dots were sort of joined together. We saw the three of us, we all had various different strengths. We complemented each other greatly and we saw there was an opportunity. And so we really looked at it and decided, yeah, we, we thought there's something very special here. And so from my side, it was never actually a, uh, from like when I was a child, a very clear sort of direction of, oh, getting into space and science and everything. <laughs> I don't have that sort of uh, dreamy-like side to me, but it was very much I've always had a sense of, um, you know, feeling a sense of stewardship and a sense of, you know, we're in trust with certain things in our lives. And this was something that seemed to be very important. And as it has turned out, and embryonics has sort of, uh, you know, grown as a company, we find ourselves very much at the forefront of this technology at a very interesting time as well, when so much is now happening in the space sector. So that's hopefully gives you a little flavor of just how the embryonic, the embryonic story even came
0: about. Well, it's fascinating for, for, for me, having been involved in working with photonics companies for, for years, to actually be dealing with a homegrown, family-led company. So it's fascinating to watch you've grown from, from where you have uh, over the last few years and to work with you uh, in IPIC. Um, and uh, I mean... These companies arrive, and your company arrive because there are challenges, and 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 there are opportunities for use of light in space. And I think it'd be great for everyone to understand here: why is light? Why is the use of light so important in the space context?
1: Well, if I maybe take it from the point of view of uh, from a communications point of view, so what our optical communications technology is fundamentally uh, doing is providing. The sort of what Earth, the fiber network does here on Earth—it um, provides huge amounts of bandwidth and throughput, basically data rates, fiber to the homes, sort or of thing is what everyone wants. And we always think of space as being this, you know, high-tech environment, um, you know, latest tech and everything. But actually, fundamentally, it's it's been very constrained since day one. Uh, it uses uh, still radio frequency communications, um, and this is sort of limiting the capability. So while there's great advancements in different sensors that are monitoring the, you know, the planet's health, the environment, um, even broadband communications from space, the whole functionality is being limited because we can't get either the data that's being collected from space back down to earth, or uh, there's this communications bottleneck even with broadband speed. So if you're in any rural part of the world connecting to uh, the internet over satellite, you know, you're still dealing with dial-up speeds. And so the idea of op- the optical communication side of things is it's to enable this whole new era of connectivity where you can have these really high sort of broadband speeds and also to be able to get these much bigger data pipes down to earth uh, to get all that incredibly valuable uh, information whether it's to do with weather environment, back down to earth.
0: Okay, so that light in itself, you know, because obviously there's many technologies and radio waves, and but light in itself offers unique sort of advantages in this space, which is is excellent for us. Um, and, you know, in, in space and technologies, what people understand when they, they, they have the mobile phones, they understand about connectivity, but I think it's not always clear for everybody how involved space communications and and. and, and the optics in space and other uh, space technologies are part of everyone's daily lives. And could you give some examples to us of how that actually happens?
1: Well, sure. So I think uh, I think the one that everyone's most familiar with that's a space-based uh, service is so your satnav um, you know, GPS, uh, which is now obviously taken for granted. Obviously, originally developed by the military for you know uh, for its own purposes, uh, but today it's, it's become so embedded in every app on your phone uh your google maps whatever else and um, and again okay that's a you know typically sort of a radio-based technology but as things become more like when we move towards like autonomous transport whatever else which is going to heavily rely on a much more uh precise or sort of gps sort of service um the next iteration of these gps satellites is that they'll be optically interconnected so you'll have optical links from one satellite to the next satellite to the next satellite and this enhances its ability to uh, provide much more accurate positional knowledge and so you'll be able to get down to sort of centimeter uh, uh, precision. Wow.
0: wow, and that will allow obviously much more safety features in terms of these self-drive cars because obviously you can't have meters. Exactly, uh,
1: yeah um, and I suppose then look in the context even of agriculture or whatever else I mean, Copernicus is a European Commission-owned uh, satellite system that monitors the planet, uh, sort of from uh, vegetation to uh, uh, the atmosphere, uh, sea temperatures, uh, melting of the ice, and all of this information is gathered on a you know a daily basis. Scientists are all the time processing all this data, and this is typically you know hyperspectral imaging. A lot of optical imagery is collecting all of this data on a daily basis. Weather forecasts and you know this is this is how you know number one how do we fight climate change on a global basis because i think you know earth is a system of systems you have to be able to take it on a global scale um, space weather is another significant impact to all that and it's it's this space environment that we down here on earth in our daily day day-to-day lives we look we look at our outputs the weather going to be like what am i going to wear but you know it all feeds back to actually these very you know elaborate complicated uh, the space infrastructure that supports all that
0: it's fascinating to think that when you're picking your jacket up, you know, there's tens of thousands of, of engineering hours at uh, millions and millions of, uh, of euros of research gone into this to allow this small uh, task for you to do. It's absolutely fascinating for me. So, John, and um, we've been obviously working together for uh, in, in, in IPIC with you for years, and it, it'd be interesting from, from our perspective to understand how the SFI centres such as the IPIC, how they support companies like yourself and embryonics in particular.
1: Absolutely, and uh, I mean to be clear, we wouldn't be where we are without the SFI centres. I mean, our, we have been working closely with IPIC since day one. Um, I think even before we we formally founded the company, we were uh, we come down to chat with you guys to sort of say, look, this is what we were thinking of. How would how would this uh, you know uh, how does this sound and. Uh, uh, it was it was just tr- tremendous. But yeah, look, how are, how does iron punch above its weight? I mean, it's, it's with the infrastructure provided by the SFI centers. I mean, we have the most cutting edge labs, uh, people of technology. I mean, the majority of our staff all come from these SFI centers. I mean, the talent pipeline is just incredible. Um, and that's something we continually want to see that investment going in into the people because without that, we can't obviously grow. Th- uh, more companies like embryonics can't emerge the um ability to obviously collaborate on research projects um has been phenomenal uh, not just within Ireland and national programs but then to you know team up and actually tackle uh, you know european and even over in the us some very exciting projects there so um for sure it's 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 been pivotal
0: it's fantastic for us as well um because when we're working at SFI center we we obviously train graduates and uh, about 70% of our graduates go straight to industry and, and obviously others want a, a career in academia and for us to have homegrown um leading edge companies to go to where they can use their talents and their skills that they've developed through the support of of, of the university, Tyndall, the government, SFI, um, uh, all across the department's uh, support as well, is great for us. And it's it's a fundamental feeding place for us to, to have people leave um, and go out into the world and be ambassadors for Ireland, ambassadors for Irish science and, and Science Foundation Ireland and all the other funding agencies. Um, and, you know, when you look at the communication in space, the, the distances are are, are enormous. See, even, even satellites in Earth orbit are, are hundreds of thousands of kilometers. Everything is so far away. Mm. Um, but what are, you know, for communications in space in general and just the use of light, why are some of these challenges or why, why why is light able to address those challenges?
1: A, a really great question because being in terms of again just the analogy of the, the fiber network down here on earth it's a fixed uh, wired system and the light is at one end of the fiber it goes through a glass tube and it reaches its destination and it's it's not moving it's fixed it's under our roads um you know it, it's a the technology is still fantastic and you know we wouldn't you know be where we are today without that technology but uh, when you move that sort of capability to space, uh, you can't obviously put a fixed wire between one satellite to the next. You're firing this the laser through free space. Um, so it goes through the vacuum space. An advantage of the vacuum space is that it actually moves faster. Light moves faster through a vacuum than it does through glass. So we're actually able to provide even faster, in some ways, transport in space than like, the terrestrial fiber systems. Um, but the challenge you have there is the satellites, as you say, are... St- you know, so far apart. Um, I mean, thousands and thousands of kilometers apart. Uh, Satellites themselves are not fixed. They're moving. (laughs) They're orbiting the Earth, particularly in the low Earth orbit. Um, You know, 1,200 kilometers per second sort of uh, gives you an idea. I mean, if you ever see the International Space Station uh, at night flying above you, I mean, you literally have, you know, two, three minutes to actually enjoy that spectacle. as it zips past? Um, And that's the same with a satellite. So when you have these... uh, uh, optical communications terminals on board, the satellites, um, they have to find each other and it's, there's a sort of a, a, a set procedure, how that happens. It's a bit like, if you think of a lighthouse, you know, flashing out a big wide sort of beam and the other terminal, and the other satellite sort of has to be able to say, Oh, I can see you. And then they set up with a handshake. And but the precision it's, if you're ever used to laser pointer, giving a presentation or whatever else, I mean, it's to point that laser which is so narrow as a, the, the beam itself is such a narrow uh think, to actually do that so accurately over those distances it's the challenges are immense and um i mean some of the innovative technologies that we're now deploying um within these technologies photonic integrated circuits where we're able to actually build these optical systems on now uh, uh, microchips but the the challenge there is transitioning that technology that's largely being developed for terrestrial applications uh, like in our data centers or what medical applications the radiation uh, effects up in space that we uh, are quite significant the low earth orbit which is sort of around 1200 kilometers of ab- um 500 sort of 1200 kilometers above the earth um up to geo thirty six thousand kilometers in altitude the radiation effects are very significant, and that means you've to use different types of materials. How do you uh, protect these technologies in space? And so, the actual packaging technologies you have to use to uh, ensure that these things survive, because these things have to survive from minimum of sort of five years to upwards of twenty-five to thirty years uh, in space. So it's that's quite challenging, and the temperature fluctuations go everything from minus sixty to uh, plus eighty degrees centigrade in a matter of seconds. So it's it's. A very violent atmosphere uh, environment.
0: I, I think that's even you know. I think uh, I mean, if myself, I haven't even thought of the implications of the fact that once this is up there, you know, there is no there's no engineering team coming up to fix it. This is what's that's fixed there for for however number of years it's going to be operating. And if you don't have redundancy and capacity and technology in there that will survive, that mm-hmm. all the money spent in getting it up there is wasted. Um, I think that's uh, I think it's fascinating. And I think well, for me as well, having worked in a photonics centre and having worked with embryonics as well, what's interesting to me is to see the work and the collaborations that you will do back here in, in Ireland and UCC and Tyndall and, and other universities, how that work, you know, you see it in real world applications of it and then off world applications of, of technology that's really, it can be built on earth, but it, it is built to desi- to survive in such an environment. It's fascinating to me. Um, so one of the other questions I hear, and we've spoke to a number of our community and not just our researchers but in the members of the public and some people have said there's an awful lot of funding going into space um, just private as well as public um, a lot of it more is private nowadays and you hear in a lot of discussions that the first thing that people say is well why isn't that money being spent on earth and wh- well, there's a lot of problems here and we, we, we do have enormous problems all around the world um, but why do you think it's worth spending this money on, on research and development, and, and on private and public work, to, to get the technologies developed into space?
1: Yeah, it's it's a really important question, um, and is all is all the you know money that's being invested all heading in the right direction? Look, uh, you know that that's impossible, obviously, to answer. But there, there's, there's, from our point of view. Um, it's, I suppose it goes even back to that thing I said earlier, stewardship, and why we even set up embryonics was this amazing technology that, you know, was developed as part of uh, Blue Sky Research, you know, funded by Science Foundation Ireland, and we found ourselves at sort of this, this, this bleeding edge technology and, you know, pushing the boundaries of what could be done with it in space. And... Space gives you this opportunity to really push the boundaries on all sorts of technology fronts. I mean, it, we've had to develop breakthroughs in materials science, uh, photonics, uh, um, software. So, it's the, the technology stack is phenomenal, and all of, all of the, those breakthroughs have relevance even down here on Earth for, ver- for a variety of different applications. And while there might be a ridiculous amount of money required to get uh, actual technology developed for space to actually launch that technology into space and to build out the infrastructure to support all that it's it the, it does have a, a waterfall effect and we we do reap the benefits of it down here on earth for various different applications and that's that's for sure that's one one side of it but the other side of it is i mean when it comes to a digital economy when it comes to connectivity and whatever else Everything is now online. We're such a, you know, the earth has sort of in some ways shrunk. Uh, we're all, you know, it's, it's, it's so different to how we all communicate communication relate, whatever else. And the problems the earth is facing now, it, it is global. I mean, the climate crisis is the biggest probably challenge for, you know, going forward. It, it, it dwarfs everything. And the only way we're going to be able to truly tackle it is from space. Earth is a system of systems, you know, it's continents, it's oceans. I mean, yes, plastic bags and whatever, you know, all the stuff, pollution, uh, carbon, everything. These are all issues and governments have to step up and start taking some very serious uh, action. But the naysayers and whatever else and say, you know, climate change is, you know, not real, whatever else. The only way you're going to actually be able to say to a government and say, this is what you must do is actually have factual, you know, pro- programmatic solutions about and be able to build. I mean, there's a dis- what like the European Space Agency is doing now and many different agencies are building uh, what's called a digital twin of the earth. So gathering all of this information, uh, all, all this digital information of our planet and all the different systems and building it into an environment where we can actually fundamentally understand w- why things are the way they are, why is this change happening? And even starting to say, look, if, if we make th- these changes, what will be the you know the, the actual result of that in a in a number of years' time? So that's really and the only way you can get that is by designing these very exquisite and expensive satellites that monitor the planet, build out the infrastructure to support it. Um there's obviously negative sides of some of the systems, like obviously certain constellations are providing you know astronomers with very significant headaches in terms of destroying the actual seeing ability where their images are basically ruined by these streaks and it's very true it it action needs to be taken there to mitigate that as much as possible and there are discussions happening there and hopefully you know a resolution will really happen there and (laughs) technology again will step in and hopefully you know overcome those challenges um and really the thing we mustn't do is you know pollute the space environment, where it which is such a precious place because it does offers this global uh, overview of what's going on. And so with all these satellites launching and the potential for uh, <laughs> significant space debris. Um, so that's, again, another very serious topic. I,
0: I think the, the idea of a digital twin of the Earth is absolutely fascinating because the, the, the principles behind that is that, you know, if you're really talking about the globalization of knowledge, and, and it really is everyone's everyone's planet. And the fact that when we can do this global kind of mimic of the Earth, do testing of it, I think it's one of these things you can imagine that the data set is presumably public and that will mm-hmm. allow everyone to work on this and try and solve a problem that maybe some of the poorer nations haven't actually caused, but they're getting uh, very badly affected by it. That's fascinating. Um, now talking about small nations, and um, we Ireland is quite a small country population-wise, but also you know in 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 ESA, I know for the European Space Agency, we contribute about one percent of the overall budget. But that's very proportionally; it's all proportionally based. So that is our, our the relative to our size. But um, Ireland really does punch above its weight um in this in this field we've we have applications and we've involvement in multiple projects so if you want to tell us a little bit about that and how how impactful first of all in terms of companies and jobs and then also in terms of the most high profile sort of projects that we're involved in as a country how much impact we're doing
1: absolutely and i couldn't agree more we we punch above uh you know our weight so so much it's it's incredibly impressive so, uh, Enterprise Ireland is the uh, the agency managing sort of the interface between Ireland and the European Space Agency, and they've made a very significant impact in just how they've gone about it. So, instead of typically these very big, expensive space programs are sort of a top down approach, and Enterprise Ireland actually has been quite disruptive in this. And I'd say, guys, no, 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 uh, it has. We we want disrupt our disruptive, you know, startups, SMEs in Ireland to actually, you know to impact this in a, in a different way and uh, and that's that's sort of that idea that ethos is now actually spread throughout the entire european space agency where now most member states have, are adopting this approach even the uh, programs are more formulated around that so even co-funding approaches and things like this and uh, so that's actually so. This idea, of this terminology of uh, new space, is emerging. So there'll be a, a very traditional old space idea of you know very expensive programs uh contracted out to the big conglomerates and uh, primes like Airbus, Defence Space, or Thales Alenia Space. Um, but there's now this new sort of um, from the ground up sort of approach of like SpaceX, uh, you know, disrupting the entire you know government led programs and developing their own rocket and you know. Uh, enabling this much lower cost commercialization of, of space and space is a place to do business. Well, actually, Enterprise Ireland was actually at the forefront of that even before SpaceX sort of was uh, championing that. And it's honestly, it, it's that DNA within Ireland, that entrepreneurial spirit, that disruptive nature. And that is uh, just as a bit of a sort of the backdrop to really how that's happening. Look, as an example, there's 87 Irish companies are so uh, t- today working with ESA. Um, I think we contributed, say, around, what, 20 million or so to, uh, to ESEB, but it's actually the return on that investment is, I'd say, significantly higher. I don't have a number for you. I'm sorry to give that something a bit more uh, of substance. But um, as an example, there's an Irish company called um, They The founders uh, uh, are from the sort of stable of uh, Movidius, so... Which was acquired by intel but they are the first company in the world to fly an artificial intelligence capability on board a satellite and that is making waves across the world and it's uh, i mean it's it's got so much capability and um, well that's going to unleash uh, which is it's just and that's come from a very small new irish company and um, I suppose more recently there uh, i'm sure most people have been aware of the you know the james webb telescope launching after you know, whatever yeah yeah uh, quite a significant de- development timeline a few delays here and there but there were these remarkable images as the fairing was opening up and um, it had reached obviously it, it you know orbit and it the fairing opens up and james webb is released and floats off on its journey to the lagrange point uh for its uh, operational desk uh, position Uh, but that fantastic imagery was, uh, taken by a a camera system, which was developed by an Irish company called rail And they did that in fantastic time. Uh, so Irish technology on board, really sending it off in grand style. And it's the, the quality of that imagery. If you see, you can Google it on YouTube. It's, it's, it's just phenomenal. Um, and again, in the, I suppose, even on that's sort of the SME side with the industry side, but to like the research base we have in Ireland, I mean, the tidal National Institute, um, the diff- various different SFI centres, um, they're providing phenomenal uh, impact, both at sort of across Europe, but also feeding that that capability now into the space sector. And photonics is now one of the, it's, it's now being really adopted in space for the first time. And there's this really the whole, way forwards now for uh, satellite systems is they described as all all optical uh, satellites so all the on-board processing all over photonics um which is incredibly exciting all communications then between satellites all over optics so it's not it's an incredibly exciting time and Ireland is at the you know the bleeding edge of, of that capability
0: That's fantastic. It's it's fascinating to hear the number of Irish companies considering the industries that we have here, the traditional industries that will be well known. To think that there's an almost 100 space-related companies in a a country of our size is absolutely absolutely amazing. And I remember seeing that image uh, at the James Webb Telescope and being very proud of an Irish Irish company's involvement in that. Um, And we talked about all this General technology, but um, I I think we'd like to know a little bit more about Embryonics themselves are doing, um, and how photonics is helping you, and and your your general applications, and and what your company is
1: doing. Sure, Uh, absolutely. So our 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 primary um, uh, product line for uh, space is around this optical communications technology, and the best way I suppose I can describe it is uh, for these emerging uh, Leo. Uh, low-Earth orbit uh, communication, satellite communication systems composed of hundreds and thousands of satellites. The, uh, the idea is that all these satellites, communication satellites are interconnected uh, in a sort of a mesh network. And the way the reason for this is to provide global coverage. So if you like, we've got our subsea cables, we've got our, you know, uh, metro hole networks, all, all running over lasers, these fiber optic networks. And it's really replicating that capability in space so that if, if you are in Dublin and you want to communicate Tokyo, your link, your optical link goes from ground to space and then through this mesh network in, the, in an optimized route and can get to its location. As I was saying, when lasers can travel faster through the back of the space, so it actually, for certain routes, it's actually faster than going through uh, subsea cables. Wow. So what we specialize in networks is the, the, uh, the full communications, optical communications payload that goes on board the satellite and also the ground-based um, optical uh, antennas that sort of send and receive uh, the, the data between space and Earth. So it's the sort of optical transport uh, capability for uh, space networks.
0: So um, one of the fascinating things for for you know you see in, in in people are very isolated areas and they have satellite phones and the satellite phones are you know they're essentially they have a, a large transmitter or possibly receiver I suppose with them, and and they're not the conventional technology. Is the idea ultimately with these low Earth orbit um, communication arrays is the idea that we'll ultimately have? wireless communication anywhere in remote regions in, in in areas where there isn't currently even the wired network for people
1: this is exactly what's happening uh, as of today there's a, a, a few two or three companies have emerged that are deploying cutting-edge technology uh, with these antennas um, that span something like 20 meters i mean they're vast and these are to provide direct to your, you won't need any special technology on your phone, whether it's, you know, an Apple, okay. <laughs> uh, Sony, whatever else. It's, it's, your your phone will be able to send and receive 5G signals uh, over satellite. And the um, the optical backbone to those satellites, so those satellites will be interlinked with these op- optical links, and that will then go back uh, down to Earth as well.
0: I, I find that amazing. I mean, I, when I've flown a couple of times to the US on a plane that was... Internet capable, and I'm assuming that's the same principle because obviously you come away from the ground network, and those are connecting to satellites in space. And the idea, presumably, is that rather than having to be on a plane, this can be done on the earth.
1: Exactly correct. Yeah,
0: that's, that's amazing. So we touched on earlier on about you know Earth observation and, and how that's done. So I, I think people are kind of familiar with images of the Antarctic or the familiar with images of, of amazing you know migration of animals, even from from, from visual things. But um, I think one of the fascinating things for me is that these satellites aren't just taking pictures of the Earth, they're doing um, different spectrums, different multispectral imaging. They're looking at um, other sort of um, uh, agricultural effects from water and so on. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what's going on and how these are applied um, from space?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose what's interesting there is uh, what would be typically more the domain of NASA or, you know, at institutional level to actually own and operate systems like that. There's now a plethora of commercial companies launching these satellites and providing th- these as a commercial service now, because it's a bit like the app on your phone. Farmers are now really being able to get this information directly to them. Uh, you don't you don't have to be necessarily you know, a PhD in actually being able to understand the sort of data. So what does it allow? It allows them to see th- their crop yields. You know, how how are their growth patterns doing? What could they be doing better? Uh, irrigation, how could they improve it? And so these companies are not just giving them raw data, they're giving them sort of really in-depth analysis of this is what's happening with, with your farming. That You need to maybe improve your irrigation here, maybe grow different crops in this particular area. It, it, it's fascinating. And this has all been done exactly through these technologies like hyperspectral imaging, which gives such um, a depth of information it's, it's
0: it's incredible uh, what i find it fascinating about this if you connect it all back to what you're saying earlier on is it's not just the fact that this data is being recorded it's the fact that this data is being recorded and transmitted back to earth all again through optical links stored into a data center again through optical links so photonics is having a really strong effect on not only just the data collection but the data processing the data storage and ultimately with an app on a phone again through a wireless network i think um I think seeing how technology is affecting everyday life from, as you said earlier, putting a jacket on, it might be cold, but also to a farmer when they know maybe there's something wrong with their or, or, or some challenge they're having on the farm. I think it's absolutely fascinating for me. Um, I, have a, I have a couple of questions. Now. We're kind of coming towards the end of the interview, and it's been absolutely fascinating for me. Um, we, we get a lot of questions from our community. So before we come on here, we talk to different researchers and, and, and members of the public. And people are fascinated with space, but... They, they always kind of wonder what can they do to get involved or what could they study at university um, that you think to help them get involved in this. And I think sometimes people focus only on astrophysics, but I think there's a whole range of technologies, including photonics, of course. Um, what would you say, and, and especially as a person who's, who's come from, from a totally different background, which is absolutely fascinating for me to see you as, as knowledgeable as you are, to come from a, a different background, what would you say would be the sort of training or the sort of... Companies or or degrees or anything they could access to try and get involved in this sort of
1: area. Absolutely. Um, I think the thing to fundamentally understand about space is that the environment of space is number one, it's hostile. And the technologies to go into space, you know, you need to sort of think about it in a a very sort of holistic way. And that means you can approach this from as a physicist, where you've got, you know, that really deep fundamental. Understanding of how to approach these things and think outside of the box. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, typically, if, if I me, mean, I suppose from our side, of things we make things that go up into space. So you know, it, we're very much about engineering, building things. How 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 do we make this and survive in space? And also, to send stuff into space is really really expensive. So how do you miniaturize it as well? How how do you as well optimize its performance, its lifetime? And uh, future proof because you know once it's up there we can't go up there and fix it. It, it has to you know really be very very reliable. So it, it, I it's it's always thinking of that side thing. So look eh, anything from you know physics, uh, mechanical engineering, aerospace engineering. And uh, look as you say my background's m- not even it, 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 in that area of expertise. I'm, I'm from the, ex- the external side of of this, um, but what we found and what we found working in the space sector is that you meet people with coming from so many different walks of life who've either fallen into it or as a young child, captivated by it. Um, and that's, I think, what's so lovely about space. It, 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 you sort of, everyone's a bit childlike. Um, and I think that's fundamentally if that's sort of your motivation for getting into it, you can really train in, you know, geology, even archaeology <laughs> uh, i think was what, what we were chatting with earlier was like even you know capabilities like even developing like lidar is also being applied now to look uh, in archaeology for look, looking inside pyramids or down into the ground whatever else that image processing i mean it, i suppose it depends really what what your your passion is like i mean in terms of earth observation look at the climate change i mean if you really are passionate about fighting climate change i mean i couldn't recommend more career in the space sector because you get to impact You know, on a global basis. I mean, and you can do everything from building the technology that goes into space, or actually building the downstream what we call downstream uh, side of things, like the software that actually captures all that data. You know, contribute like to building something like this digital twin, or uh, it's there's so many different avenues you can do. I mean, computer science obviously is is a key one. Um, Quantum communications is you know another emerging area. Um,
0: Well, I, I. I have to say that's really uh, an inspiring way to, to end, I think, what has been an absolutely brilliant discussion for me. I think what's been fascinating for me, the idea that uh, you can be an engineer, you can be a data scientist, you can be a person involved and, and interested in addressing in, climate change. I've watched many documentaries and you see mathematicians as a, as a, as a core member of a group. Uh, in addition to, to the astronauts and the people who work in, 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 in these areas. But I actually think that this is such a multidisciplinary and multi-skilled area. And I'm delighted, first of all, that we have an Irish company that's uh, leading the way uh, as part of the fact that we're again punching, punching above our way. And I think that's absolutely brilliant for us. And we're delighted as a as an SFI research centre to support uh, embryonics on that journey. And, and we're looking forward to, to working with you um, and, and your team and, and, and Ruth and David for, for many, many years to come.
1: David, thank you so much, and us too. It's it's been a continual pleasure, and the future looks bright.
0: Fantastic. Great. Thank you very much, John.
1: Thank you, David.